Well, it's a privilege for me to be here with you. I, I know some of you, as I look at over the crowd, many of you I don't know or don't know yet. Uh, as you look at me, you may think, well, Elder Board at Grace and Board uh, here at Montana Bible College, I didn't realize there was like a court jester slot in both of those, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, I do like a sense of humor, and I like a sense of humor in, uh, especially in a board. Uh, it's just a, a fun thing to uh, be involved in. Uh, what I wanted to talk about mostly today was my testimony. And the reason that I wanted to share that with you, for one, is, a, is as a testimony, it's a story of God's involvement and his uh, moving the affairs of my life to uh, in some senses, bring me to my knees, but to bring me closer to him. And uh, I very greatly appreciate that. Another reason that I wanted to give my testimony is so those of you who don't know me, uh, hopefully through the tale and twists of turns of my past, uh, you would find something in there with which you could identify and that would make me approachable to you because I want to be approachable to you. Um, one other thing that I do at Montana Bible College, as I, I didn't know if you was, were, knew, I was involved in the languages program here. Uh, there's uh, Greek and Hebrew and math. Uh, math is the one that I'm involved in. It's a foreign language to some of you, granted. Uh, but it is, uh, as I say in class, God's language of order in the universe. So expand your minds about math a little bit there. Uh, so I was born... Uh, in Bozeman. I grew up uh, on a farm north of Bozeman, about 15 miles. As soon as my legs were long enough to reach the pedals, I was driving the tractor. Before that, I was killing as many gophers as I could and magpies, even though you can't really do that now. Um, I grew up uh, going to a little uh, country school. It was a one-room country school. There aren't many of those left across the country, but I had the same uh, classmates in the same one room from first grade to eighth grade, had the same teacher for all subjects for five years of those eight, so a little different uh, environment than some of you may have had. Uh, grew up in a family where my dad didn't really go to church. He, he viewed uh, farming. I, I don't think he really uh, had a relationship with Christ, but I think he kind of thought he did, but my mom definitely did, and it was important for her to take uh, all five of us kids to church. I was the youngest. Uh, if you're a birth order person, uh, you may think, well, that may explain some things about Brad if he's the youngest. Uh, I don't buy into that whole birth order nonsense, but because I'm the youngest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We chart our own course. Um, but we have the beauty of not always thinking that we're right, like the firstborn do. Nah, never mind. Um, so, uh, we went to the Disciples of Christ Church here in Bozeman, and that's a denomination that allows the individual uh, local body to have basically whatever complexion the pastor has. That can be good and bad. We had uh, some pastors as I was growing up that were very, uh, very much uh, in the word and, and addressed it at, at its uh, fundamental level. We had other ones that were much more liberal uh, at the national level. They are, uh, have been, they were in my youth and continue to be a very liberal uh, organization. But uh, through that experience, uh, I accepted Christ and was baptized when I was 12 years old. And uh, I say that uh, 
even full well knowing that what happened in the following years to an outside observer may, they may say, well, I don't know if you were really a believer. Because I was a, I was a very moral kid. Uh, when I graduated from eighth grade, I went into the, the Bozeman public school system. I graduated from Bozeman Senior High. I did the things that good kids do. I did well in school, you know, kept my nose clean, worked on my studies. Uh, I wrestled. Uh, I was on the wrestling team as like the, uh, uh, you know, you know, in boxing, how there's always the sparring partner who's not quite as good as anyone else. I was that. I was the, to give you some idea, when I was a freshman, I was six foot tall and I weighed 126 pounds. That was my wrestling class. So. I was like the rope that the other guys would tie into knots, you know, <laughs> practice there. Oh, hey, here's a slip knot. <laughs> so, uh, so I was never really any good at it, but um, mostly I did it because I wanted to be involved in sports and I wanted to be in shape for skiing, and it really did that for me. So grew up skiing, loving that. But uh, so as I progressed through high school, uh, I had friends that were involved in like the college prep uh, kind of engineering and science-oriented classes, uh, calculus and physics and things. And my, my friends weren't really partiers. I wasn't a partier. I was on the newspaper uh, staff and was extremely busy with activities and involved in clubs and things. So uh, I, I didn't really get into trouble. I didn't really have time to get into trouble. I didn't have friends who got into trouble. So basically stayed uh, from someone looking at me on the outside, very moral kid, high integrity, uh, and that was important to me. Uh, after I graduated from high school, went to Montana State. Uh, yeah, there you go. Into engineering, I went into a discipline of engineering, which is no longer at Montana State. It was uh, agricultural engineering, you know, growing up on a farm watching things break, especially balers. They just have a wonderful way of breaking, learning how to weld things back together. Watching all those things happen, it's like, I, I'd kind of like to know why they break. And did they plan on that breaking like that? Because, man, it sure happens a lot. Anyway, um, so I, I went into agricultural engineering, and the friends that I had in college were, uh, were a little more rowdy Let's just say it that way, than the friends that I'd had in high school. Still, academics were important to them. I was involved in the, the Greek system on campus. I was a Lambda Chi, another one that is no longer on the MSU campus. It seems like things that I'm involved in eventually go away. I hope that's not always the case. But uh, so the major went away, the fraternity went away. Anyway, I hadn't really thought of it like that before now. Um, but had some excellent friends, uh, very close friends uh, that I did a lot of things with, and I continue to go to church every Sunday. But what we talked about uh, in church and the pastor that we had at that time wasn't really a very much emphasis on personal accountability, on uh, really anything uh, beyond just kind of a head knowledge, and even that was more oriented a little more towards uh, social concerns and things like that. You know the kind of the classic, well, there, there are a couple Bible verses that are mentioned during the course of a sermon, but overall it's, it's more uh, anecdotal evidence of how right living is a good thing. Uh, so not necessarily a horrible message, uh, but uh, not something that, um, that I could really sink my teeth into in deepening a relationship with a Savior that wanted to know 
and draw me closer to him. So through the course of my college years, I, I just started, even though going to church every single Sunday, just started to kind of drift further and further away. And that, where that drifting occurred, because um, I considered myself to be pretty smart, uh, I used that intelligence to rationalize what I wanted. Okay? I, I, over time, would I know what's important to God, but I would choose a specific area that was important to God and clear in Scripture, and I would magnify that at the expense of a number of other categories of things that were also important to God. And you can, you can rationalize just about anything you want to do by picking some character trait of God and focusing only on that at the expense of every other character trait of God. So, as I said, went to church every Sunday, but just kind of continued this gradual drift, whether it was uh, alcohol consumption or physical intimacy in relationships. I certainly wasn't uh, promiscuous by the standards back then, especially not by today's standards. But uh, I just really didn't think that physical closeness was uh, really, I just didn't see it as that much of an issue. I didn't even really consider it as something related to my integrity and my personal purity. But uh, continued on, uh, graduated from Montana State. Uh, who was hiring at the time was the aerospace industry. So I interviewed and got a job in Southern California. Uh, working for the company that makes the space shuttle main engines, or at the time made the space shuttle main engines. So I got hired into the group that did uh, stress analysis. So how much, you know, is this part going to break, the loads that are put on it, thermal stresses that are put on it, you model those, uh, you use a computer to assess it, and then you make changes to designs, and that was the whole world. And I, I kind of remember walking in on, on, uh, on my interview trip, um, it was the second floor of this building that was just gigantic. And walking into this room and looking out over this sea of cubicles, it was like Dilbert on steroids, you know? Like the, the, the I couldn't help but remember the gophers when I was, uh, that I used to mercilessly hunt as a wee tot. Um, how if there was a loud noise, how all the heads would pop up all over the, it's like acres of cubicles. It was just funny, you know. It's like my tie going up like Dilbert. Anyway, um, walking into this room and looking out and just going, what am I doing here? This is, you know, I, I'm, I'm this farm kid from Montana, and I walk in, and there's all these graduates from Berkeley and MIT. Those are big names in engineering schools, if you are not aware of that. Um, and, and yet it really... There were a lot of people there who had been hired from places all over the country who descended on Southern California in the early 80s. Um, so there were a lot of people my age. There were a lot of people with my expendable income. Uh, and so made friends quickly and easily. And unfortunately, Christ was not a part of those people's lives. It just wasn't. And as time went on, it. I was continuing down the path that I had laid out for myself, that my relationship with Christ was becoming more and more and more distant. Uh, I did think when I first got there, when I first moved down there, I am going to, uh, I'm going to go to church, because I, I think going to church is an important thing. And the first day that I went to church, I'm driving my car to church, and I go to turn into the church parking lot, 
driving down these tree-lined streets. I couldn't even find it. I found a Disciples of Christ church because that's the denomination I had grown up in. And I go to turn into their parking lot, and I get T-boned by this car passing me and nearly totals my car. I was not hurt at all, but it was kind of like, wow, that's pretty weird just trying to go to church for the first time and get nailed like that. Uh, so next week, I went to the church. I walked in. Uh, they were warmly greeted. They had just had a church split, so there was maybe 30 people there. Most of them were older, uh, substantially older than I was, but uh, met a couple there that were maybe five years older than I was that were on fire for the Lord, applying his word to their lives and in a great relationship with him. And, and that was really attractive to me, but I I basically just met them. And the next week rolled around, and some of the people that I knew at work said, hey, we're, we're going on a water ski trip out to the Colorado. Uh, why don't you come with us? Oh, okay, I'll, I'll go do that. So we went out and camped and went water skiing and, and uh, had a blast. And then the next week it was, well, hey, you know, we play beach volleyball every Sunday. We get out there at, at 9 or 10 in the morning, and we play volleyball all day till 4.35 in the afternoon, and then we go somewhere together to a restaurant, and wow, that, that kind of sounded like fun. I loved volleyball. I, I, I had played quite a bit at that point, and uh, was just like wrestling. I was never any good at it, but I, to let you know, as a, as a bit of background, I'm an excellent athlete in that I rise to mediocrity pretty quickly <laughs> in, in just about any sport, and then making it past mediocrity it takes like four times longer than anyone else. So anyway, just an aside. So I would go out and practice my mediocrity in volleyball. Um, and on the way back, uh, as I look back now, God keeping his hand on me, I would drive down Mulholland Highway on the way back from the beach. And maybe you, you've heard of Mulholland, uh, maybe you haven't, but it's, it's kind of, it goes through the, the mountains in between Malibu and the San Fernando Valley. And it's this very windy mountain road that, at the time, uh, was very popular with all the superbike riders. So they would go, you know, do the knee drag thing, just fly down these things. And I had a little Datsun 280Z, and my challenge on the way back from playing volleyball all day was to keep up with them. And how I am here standing before you today and not in a twisted, burning pile of rubble at the bottom of one of those canyons, I have no idea, because getting all four tires to slide together right as you're coming out of the corner to maximize your acceleration. It was just delicious. And uh, I still want to do that. But, uh, but I set that aside, fortunately. Anyway, back to the story. Um, so I, uh, I worked there for about two years. I had some, God just gave me these incredible opportunities at work to excel in that environment and let me take advantage of those. I, I just, the projects that I got, uh, there was uh, uh, an engine that blew up on a test stand and they didn't know why, but it was a huge deal. NASA's involved. Uh, my boss's boss's boss is like checking in with our group because it was our component that failed and you know dropped this $100 million engine 40 feet out this test stand. And um, they, they took three of us, and they picked the most likely failure scenario and gave it to the most seasoned engineer. They took the next most likely one and gave it to the next person, and the one that no one thought it could have been this, they gave it to me, because I was like there less than a year. 
and I ran uh, computer simulation after simulation and all these things, and I, it just kept coming up like this. I think this is how this engine failed. I think this is what happened. And I came up with this chart, this single chart that showed the entire progression of the failure that resulted in the catastrophic uh, failure of the engine. And I, I showed it to my boss and went with him and showed it to his boss and then the division director, we went together and showed it with him. And I was like, they were like, this, this has to be it. And, and the other uh, failure uh, approaches that were suggested, it, there were problems with them. So this, was, this became our division's description, not only of why the engine failed, but uh, but what the path forward was to avoid it ever happening again. And I mean, I'd been working there less than a year, and I was all set to give the presentation to explain my, my chart to NASA with my boss's boss's boss, and I got laryngitis the day of the meeting. Uh, so God kept me, well, I, w I was going to say kept me humble, but obviously the, he can only, you know, we, we have to be a complicit part in our own humility. And uh, Anyway, um, so uh, I took a leave of absence because after you work somewhere for a couple of years or after I did, you start to feel like you're starting to do the same things over and over. So I took a leave of absence and I went across the country to be somewhere new, do something new. Went to Penn State, uh, again in ag engineering, but uh, took uh, courses that were very aligned with what I did in aerospace. And uh, all I wanted to do was my work. You know, I, I, I just wanted to get in and tear into the, the meat of the engineering of this thing and then get out, get back to uh, the job in Southern California. I mean, I wanted to be there. But my, my, uh, one of my office mates kept saying, I, I have the perfect woman for you. You have to meet this woman. She's six foot tall, redhead. Uh, she's gorgeous. You've got to meet her. She is perfect for you. Uh, and I, I kept saying, no, that's not why I'm here. You know, thanks, but no thanks. And, and uh, un what I didn't really know and understand was that he and his wife were best friends with this woman uh, through in their undergraduate days, and that they were really strong believers and that she had rededicated her life about a year, year and a half before that, so she was on the right path. And uh, finally, they, they set us up on this blind date where we both came to their house, and, uh, and that was it for me. I had never, uh, I just, that's not why I was there. But it's like, this, this woman is just incredible. Uh, don't tell my wife about this. No, I'm joking. That's, it is my wife. It's, <laughs> Cindy, my wife, my current one and only wife. Uh, yeah, now that we got that out of the way. So, um, so we started dating. And as I've told my daughters, I would prefer that they not date someone like me when I was then, because I was not walking with the Lord. I had delegated to Gray so many areas of personal purity, and walk and what's important that uh, I was a, a Christian, but I was, I was not walking. I was not acting like a believer. So unfortunately, I influenced her negatively in some ways in her walk. She definitely influenced me 
positively in mind. Don't hear that as an endorsement for dating a non-believer. Please don't, because scriptures are very clear on what our perspective is supposed to be in that. So I am a statistical outlier in many ways, and that is one of them, that my relationship with my wife, and that's partly why I believe I was uh, a believer at that, at that point. You know, as I looked at what her perspective on some things, it was so black and white, so, so unambiguous, and I had for years been relegating those things to, well, that's kind of a, you know, I don't know that Scripture really says it that way. Never even going to Scripture to see. I just rationalized in my own mind, well, this and this and this, and so that's okay. That's what I want to do, and that's okay. So uh, we started dating. Uh, we got engaged just about the time I finished up my master's degree. Uh, I moved back to Southern California, and what a difference. I mean, I, I just didn't really have a desire to uh, do the things with my friends that I used to do. I mean, certainly I still uh, wanted to drive my car too fast, and I, I still wanted to play beach volleyball. But to, to hang around with them with the, the kind of camaraderie that we had had before just was not appealing to me at all. So I would go home from work, I'd turn on... Chuck Swindoll or David Jeremiah or somebody like that, I'd make myself some supper and I'd sit down on the sofa and just absorb, just listen and just drink it in. And then uh, uh, went back to that church because I didn't know where else to go. And that couple, well, here's, here's an odd thing. So I went to that church one day and then essentially four years pass and I walk into the same church and the greeter greets me by name. I mean, that was just, still makes my hair stand up a little bit. That was just freaky. I had met, he was the same greeter. I had met him. He was a retired fire chief in L.A. And I walk in, he says, hi, Brad. It's nice to have you back. It's, Whoa. Anyway, so we got married, lived in Southern California for a couple of years. I took another leave of absence, went back to uh, Pennsylvania for a PhD, uh, pursued that, went to a great uh, conservative Baptist church there, excellent pastor, really, really started growing. We had our first child, uh, right as I uh, graduated, moved back to Southern California and decided, you know, we don't, we don't want to raise our kids in Southern California. We just don't. So found an opportunity to move back to Montana and did that. Uh, in 1993, and have been here ever since. Uh, went to three or four churches in the uh, Bozeman area, and once we came to Grace, we didn't try any other ones. Uh, and I'm not trying to be like an advertisement, but you know, we had a little daughter, and even just seeing how concerned they were with the representation of Christ to even in the nursery and even in the the little kids programs is like, oh, this is where we need to be. And then we you know, sat and listened to the teaching, and it's like sitting down to a steak dinner. It's like, this is where we need to be. So we started attending. And uh, uh, as the years went by, uh, after a few years, I uh, was blessed to be on the deacon board and be the uh, the Ryan equivalent for the deacon board, the, the fast-fingered note-taker. Uh, enjoyed that. Uh, and then after doing that for uh, 
several years was blessed uh, and uh, had to to serve on the elder board. I, I was gonna. That's that's probably been the single biggest thing, in addition to being married to my wife, the single biggest thing that's been a, a, uh, a draw, a push, uh, uh, an opportunity to be molded and shaped by God's word, especially through the interaction with uh, the godly men that are on that elder board. I mean, there's, uh, I, I, I like to say, well, I'm the least of the elders, or I'm the court jester of the elders, or whatever. What, it is such a humbling thing to serve with other godly men. And, and so I, I would exhort you, look for opportunities to serve with other believers because the, the dynamic that God puts into a circumstance like that, and, and it is not uh, easy, sometimes not pleasant at all. Uh, it's uh, really hard, uh, not physically, but uh, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, but what an opportunity to grow. So... That's been a huge, huge blessing to me. Um, we have a second daughter. Uh, some of you may know uh, Lily. She's not hugely involved in Cross Life, but comes fairly regularly. She's going to MSU. My older daughter um, uh, is going to law school in Washington, D.C. Um, so uh, looking back just a little bit on on my involvement at Grace and, and what ministries, I mentioned serving, what ministries have I been involved in at Grace? Uh, started off, the obvious one was uh, nursery. I mean, we had a child in nursery and we kind of adopted this perspective that, well, if we're involved, not because we wanna be like this obnoxious, hovering parent kind of thing to our kids, but if we're involved, even in a kind of a removed sense in the general age group of our kids, then if there's a big swell of kids that comes through in a certain age, then at least they have uh, the worker bees to try to facilitate those ministries. So we started off in that, and we started teaching different Sunday school classes. Uh, Cindy and I were uh, headed up for a couple of years the junior high ministry, uh, and we started to kind of move over into uh, counseling. Uh, eventually went through training, uh, became NANC certified. Uh, in terms of involvement on the board, uh, for a number of years I was on the personnel committee and that was a, a real opportunity to, uh, to understand how policy works and how you generate policy and uh, employee-employer relations. I, I also had that in the private sector. I, uh, started a company that did uh, product development engineering, and then eventually started another company that, uh, that I, we're trying to sell now. So if you're in the market, um, a company that developed a new kind of biosensor. So uh, it's DNA-based, that's not my forte, but my uh, partner is the molecular physicist guru, and uh, so he's the, he's the one that handles the part of it that you can't see, which is kind of mind-boggling to design products that you can never see. Anyway, um, so uh, that's kind of the nutshell. Uh, I, I did want to take a, a couple minutes at the end, and if you had any questions, if you don't have any questions, I can always ask them of myself. I don't always have the answer, but, uh, but at least definitely, definitely, I can come up with a question for myself. Any questions? Oh, uh, 
The current biotech stuff is pretty interesting. Um, uh, a couple products that wound up going, far, you know, when someone walks in with an idea and they kind of draw, draw it out on a napkin or whatever, they don't even know what it, it's going to look like. They just know what they want it to do. It's always exciting to make it something that's not just a physical representation, but something that can be mass produced. A couple of them that, that did go on, uh, actually, one of them was a hot tub vacuum, which is kind of weird. It's, the, it's like a turkey baster bulb, and you squeeze it, and it sucks water in and filters it and blows the water back out. Uh, it's called the grit getter. If you have a hot tub, I highly recommend it. Uh, that, was, that was a fun one, because what came in was this glued together PVC thing, this great big thing, and the guy was brilliant. He was a had a PhD in fluid flow, so that whole side of it he had nailed, but uh, that was a fun project. Another one was uh, someone wanted a portable handicap access ramp, and they're just like, we want a ramp and we want it to roll up, and we want it to be as light as possible, but it's got to carry like a motorized wheelchair. So it's got to be super light, portable, but really strong. So it was... Uh, that was a blast because it was very technical. It wasn't just making it so that it looked good or whatever. It was, it was very, very much reaching back to my stress analysis days in aerospace of trying to optimize something. We went through a number of iterations where we would test things to failure on MSU campus. And so that was really, that was really fun. Uh, I, I guess I'd say in the uh, in the broadest sense, yes. Uh, but there are we're def there's times in every occupation uh, where you kind of go, man, I, maybe. I mean, uh, what I've pursued the most in my career is the steep part of the learning curve. If I do something for a while and it's starting to do the same thing, uh, I go do something else, and or and, or it works out that I. God opens the door to do something else. So that's probably been the most continuous thing, but um, product, I've been doing product development for, uh, in various facets for quite a while. Other questions? Yes. Do you still have Z's? Oh, no. No, Z's are prone to the cancer that is rust. And uh, the one that I had at, at the time when it really started to rust, I just didn't, financially was not able to, to keep it alive and well. So I wound up uh, selling it to someone for like 500 bucks and I've never quite gotten over it. Uh, uh, so uh, someday, I, I, I've always loved cars and if you've seen the sweet ride I have now, it's, uh, it's a hail damaged 1991 Chevy, or uh, uh, Honda Civic. Uh, if you've seen that buzzing around, uh, I've never really been able to indulge my love of automobiles in any way that, except for that Z. Uh, I've had some flashes, some brushes with some pretty decent vehicles, but I, I love cars, and uh, and that that little Honda, yeah. I mean, for for example, the. Uh, the exhaust system rusted out. It, it only had like 60,000 miles on it when I bought it. The exhaust system rusts out, so me being fairly handy with tools and things uh, and cheap, really cheap, uh, I, I searched through eBay to find 
uh, mufflers. Well, no, it wasn't just the muffler, it was the exhaust. And, well, you know, maybe I, so I start rationing. I really should change like the whole system out right up, including stainless steel headers, right? You gotta, I mean, so I found stainless steel headers, the whole system for like 150 bucks on eBay. Stainless steel. It's like that costs more in the metal than that. So, um, so they came, and I take the pieces out, like the high-flow catalytic converter. It came with a cat. It's like crazy. So I pull out the high-flow catalytic converter. It's high-flow, all right. There is nothing in it. It's just a pipe. I'm going. And the way the pipes came out of the muffler, you couldn't see through it, but I'm pretty sure the muffler is exactly the same level of sound control. So now when you hear me driving, it's, it's like... When people hear me go by, they expect to look and see like, you know, a 10th grader with its first, you know, car that they, I'm going to soup this thing up, put an exhaust system on it. So I, <laughs> you hear me, you'll hear me coming and going. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I still need to find a muffler that actually quiets things down. There. Other questions? Yes. Oh, yes. Well, that's a lot more Cindy, my wife's thing, the, than mine. But um, when we moved back, we moved on to part of my dad's farm, an old farmhouse with a big old barn. And uh, we've lived there since 1993. It's this huge barn, and you know it was originally built for draft horses and uh, built in 1917. Does operate as a wedding venue, if there's anyone. No, anyway. Um, uh, it was a huge space that, you know, in an old farm building like that, you, especially if you're, you know, you're not like a trust fund kid, you, you, you have to figure out a way to maintain those things in some way. You want to preserve it, but you can't preserve it just for you to look at. It, it, it just, uh, it's not going to pencil out. So the way that we decided to preserve it was to make it generate its own revenue. So it's a great big barn. We started in cleaning it out. The mow had like this much hay in it. Got it all down to the wood. The downstairs had this much processed hay, shall we say. <laughs> uh, caked in, really dried. So, you know, barring that out, getting it all out. It was a lot of work. but. Uh, because it was right there, and, and the other side of it, uh, Cindy and I, especially Cindy, homeschooled, and when the homeschooling years kind of waned, it was kind of, well, what's, what's Cindy going to do? Um, since her, her job of, of doing that was drawing to a close, so she now runs that, the wedding venue side of it. So it was kind of just an opportunity that we lived next to for, you know, 20 years before we actually started to do something with it. Any last, I've run over your time allotment, so. Uh, anyway, feel free to get in touch with me if you have any other questions. Thank you.